Hi, welcome to Scratching the Surface. I'm Jarrett Fuller, and this is my podcast about design criticism and practice. A quick announcement in case you missed it before we get started. Instead of a regular episode last week, I published a text interview I did with the Amsterdam-based designers Experimental Jet Set on the Scratching the Surface Medium page. This interview was conducted via email over the last month or so, and we discussed the role of writing in their studio, the influence of uh, Marxist theory on their work, and how they think about design as a type of criticism. So in case you didn't get to see that, uh, it's an interesting read and a great addition to this interview series. So you can find a link to that on Twitter or on Medium, uh, and I think it's well worth a read. But on today's episode, I am talking with Helen Armstrong, who is a designer, writer, and educator at North Carolina State University. She's also published two anthologies on design theory and a book on user-generated design processes. Helen is a graduate of MICA's MFA in graphic design program, which is the same program I'm graduating from uh, in a few months. And I first came across her work last year when she came back to speak about her latest book on digital design. I was really fascinated by the theoretical interest she had in graphic design. So last month we spoke over Skype about her own background and the role of theory and criticism and how that plays into her own design practice. Uh, It's a really interesting conversation and really wide ranging and touches on everything from technology and artificial intelligence to the need for design criticism to move from the artifact to the system. I think Helen really embodies this intersection of theory and practice and so much of her work is about blurring the divide between the two. So let's get into it. Here is my conversation with Helen Armstrong. start is I don't actually know kind of what your background is or how you got into design. So I kind of wanted to start with just a quick overview of your entry into design or your kind of professional background to kind of set the stage for for the conversation. So my um, undergraduate degree is in English and visual arts. Mm-hmm. And by visual arts, I mean fine arts. Oh, okay. I, I went to grad school in English literature, and I was very interested in identity theory at the time. Okay. It was, it was, this was um, early 90s. It was all about thinking about um, pluralistic identity, and I got really into gender studies and all this kind of stuff. So, um, so I did a master's in English, and I, then I did a, um, I started a PhD in English. Oh. And uh, I did a year of uh, PhD coursework. I got to the um, the point of taking my orals, and I just decided this isn't what I wanted to do. Wow. Okay. Uh, um, and one of the classes that one of the projects that I found really interesting in grad school was I was taking this translation theory course where we were thinking about what happens when something is translated. From one language to another, what are all the cultural ramifications, blah, 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 this whole field of yeah. translation theory. And I did this project where I started translating text into imagery. And I think that that's something that I didn't really realize it at the time, but that's something that really uh, fascinated me. Yeah. Because it got me thinking about communication and imagery and how complex it was, blah, blah, blah. So 
um, I decided I didn't want to finish the English degree. My mom sent me this um, book review in the mail. <laughs> we used to do that. This sounds, sounds like I'm like 100 years old. But I love it. In the 90s, we used to mail each other. Early 90s, we used to mail each other book reviews. And she, she mailed me this book review. And I flipped over in the back was an ad for the University of Baltimore's publication design program. And I thought I was in, um, I, I was doing my uh, PhD at University of Tennessee. And I thought, and ironically, a guy from Baltimore, a guy from Baltimore had just been over at my house the day before talking about how great Baltimore was. Oh, wow. So I decided to um, call up the director of the program. I called her up that day. And my then boyfriend, now husband, and I drove up to Baltimore, visited the program, decided that's what we wanted to do. Left Tennessee, went to Baltimore. We both did that program at, um, at UB. And then I worked as a designer for about six years in Baltimore. Okay. And then um, started getting kind of interested in having more time to reflect upon the work that I was doing. <laughs> I started teaching a theory course at Micah just on the side, and that got me really excited about the idea of diving more deeply into design and theory. Yeah. And at the time, as an aside, at the time I had just had twins too, okay. and so I was I was at this place where my life was just really out of control, crazy because I had these. These two babies and things were wacky, and I just decided if things are going to be wacky, I'll just go all the way. Yeah, yeah. And I'll um, quit my job and do freelance and go back to school with these six-month-old babies. Oh wow! And so that's what I did. Wow. And it was great because there was no way my life was going to be in control. Yeah. In control, so I just let go and enjoyed grad school, and that's it. It's really, it's interesting. I did not, I don't know if I realized that you actually kind of came to design through, from, with a theory background first, that it was the theory and literature and things like that that came first. When you saw that, so I have a couple questions just kind of based on some things that you just said. When you saw that publication design ad, did you know, were you conscious of the field of graphic design or did you know what publication design meant when you saw that or what was it about that that you were kind of immediately attracted to I think for me on I, I don't think I really understood graphic design but there was just something about the idea of oh I can take this passion for image and this passion for language and I can put them together and mm -hmm. that just seemed perfect mm -hmm. So it was more of a kind of instinct that yeah. yes, this yeah. is this is what I should do. I really had no idea what I was oh, doing, but that's so interesting. So when you then when you were working as a designer for that six years, had the was that I don't even know exactly what to call it, that theory side or the kind of academic trajectory that you were originally on, was that just done? Were you kind of not doing any of that stuff anymore? I definitely thought that I was finished with school. Yeah, I, I yeah. when I finished that um, that MA, I thought, yeah, I'm ready. I was I was very I was actually very uh, 
when I yeah when I finished the mass the when I left the PhD program, I was very interested in being much more pragmatic. I was actually sick of theory at that time. Okay, yeah, that was my next. I question. wanted to be. I felt like everything I was doing was really really esoteric and had no connection to the world, and I was very frustrated with that. So when I saw that publication design program, I thought, oh, I can actually impact the world. I can I can get out there and do something. And I can learn a skill, too. I, I can, yeah. This is like a craft that I can learn, and I right. can um, really refine that craft. And so that, that appealed to me, too. It seemed very yeah. real, as opposed to what I've been doing before. That, yeah, that's, so when... When did those things start to come back together for you, or when did you realize that you could kind of apply that other background that you had to the design work you were doing? I think it took years. I, I got to the point where I realized that I was focusing on making deadlines all the time, and I just didn't have space to sit back and think reflectively about what I was doing. Yeah. And I do think the um, having uh, children also played into that right because yeah, yeah. i i went through this period where my babe my children were born prematurely so very small so i i kind of went through this whole traumatic thing when they were very young and so i think that 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 put me in a frame of mind where i was thinking reflectively on these big mm. issues of life and survival wow. and and what it means to um to exist in this world and I, I also um, added to that uh, one of my um, daughters has a um, chromosomal condition, a kind of rare chromosomal condition. And so I was also thinking about what it means to um, be a part of society, what it means to be accepted by society, how, what different ways do you function within a community. I mean, I was thinking about all these issues. And so I, because that became such an important a kind of a, my life that was didn't feel that complicated suddenly became very complicated. Right, so right. I wanted to think about those issues, and I wanted to think about how my design practice connected to all of that. And there was no time for that in my professional life. I was very bam, 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 get it out the door. Right, right. Make it perfect, then get it out the door, and then move to the next project. And I wanted that time. Yeah, yeah. I know. I I know exactly kind of what you're talking about there. So when you when you then decided to apply to MICA or go, and go to MICA, did you, was that your plan to kind of think about what design meant to you, design's role in the world? Uh, that was kind of the, the goal going into that? It was. And I also wanted to educate myself to open my eyes to the kind of thinking that was I want to look back historically and understand more deeply the thinking that was influencing the work that I was doing mm. and the way that I and others viewed my work. Because okay. I didn't feel like I had a really strong understanding of the ideology that was informing the way that I critiqued my own work and the way I'd been trained in design. And mm -hmm. I just, I, I wanted to have a deeper understanding of that. So that, that was also a big part of it. And so where did, how did that then turn into what became the graphic design theory book? Well, as I, to teach the class on design theory, I really had to go through that kind of self-education process. <laughs> yeah. myself. I spent about six months 
doing nothing but reading and writing and thinking yeah. and then the week before the class, you know, and then right. teaching the class. Right, 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 yeah. And then hurrying back and like absor absorbing yeah. myself yeah. with this material so that by the next class I would be ready to have mm -hmm. these discussions. So I did that over the course of a semester. That was the semester before I started the, um, okay. the grad program at MICA. So I spent a semester doing that, and then I saw entering the grad program as a way to continue that and to further the research that I'd done and develop it into a book project. So I knew I wanted to do that book when I started the program. Oh, okay, okay. So how did, I, I'm really curious about that process of studying all of that, preparing it, and then teaching it and then compiling this book that was all kind of happening at the same time. And then in, in what sounds like a very short amount of time also, did that change how you thought about your design practice? Like, did you, did you graduate or did that book come out and you felt like the work you were doing and the type of projects you were working on were different than the projects you were doing before that? I think definitely that I, I viewed my work much more critically. <laughs> I could kind of situate it in a certain yeah. ideology. Yeah. I The blinders were off a bit, and I was able to view things much more thoughtfully than I had been before. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I thought I was also going through this process that I see now with my own grad students a lot, where you come in and you have this sort of professional design mindset, and it takes a while right. to get out of that. Right. And so I was also going through that kind of transition. Yeah, that's interesting. Did you, I'm, I, I have a question and I, I don't, I, I honestly am not sure the best way to phrase it. Um, but, and I, I don't, I'm struggling with articulating this. I think it's interesting that you were kind of doing all of this reading and, and wanted to compile it into a book. And I think putting into a book says, that you felt like that, that there was some importance for other people or other designers to be aware of all of these things also. Um, would you, first of all, would you, would you agree with that kind yeah, of assessment? Yeah, I would agree with that. I'm, and so I'm curious, what, what is the, I, I don't, I'm, this sounds kind of devil's advocate-y and I don't mean it like that, but what, what value do you see in practicing designers kind of understanding the theory and history of this craft? Well, I think if we have the time, if we can carve out the time to view our work more critically, if we can think about how it connects to work that was done in the past, then we're going to be able to better participate in our communities and our society in a positive way. You know, we're going to be able to really, th I mean, for example, an issue like privacy. Yeah. So if we go back and we think about um, the role of the relationship between design and different political regimes, we see how creativity yeah. and privacy related to one another um, over the last century, mm -hmm. right? And then we, th then we can think in a much more complex way about privacy issues that we're facing now and how we address those issues in our practice and how we right. talk about those issues with our clients and how we negotiate different boundaries of privacy and say an interface that we're designing yeah, yeah. and we our clients to see that. Do you, um, this was a question that I was going to save for later but it's kind of related to what you're just talking about. Are there subjects or topics or 
issues that you think are pressing designers today that need to be discussed or talked about within the design community? I do, and I will say that I'm a little, I definitely love technology and I love thinking about technology and the future. And by technology, I mean computation, yeah. how it impacts the way that we view the world, how it impacts the way we relate to one another. That's, I just have a natural affinity for that. Yeah. Um, I was that little girl in, <laughs> I was that awkward like sixth grader in like the sci-fi aisle of the live, of the um, bookstore and I looked mm -hmm. around and nobody else, you know, everybody oh, yeah. else like yeah. a, you know, seventh grade, you know, Dungeon and Dragons guy. Um, but so I, I do have a natural interest. Mm -hmm. So that's affecting probably what I see, what I see is really pressing issues. Yeah. I do teach a course here at a seminar um, course to grad students here. And that's, a, that's what we talk about. We talk about topics that we feel are really pressing at the moment. Things mm -hmm. like artificial intelligence, right? Yeah the atom bomb of our generation that we as designers really need to understand and think about very carefully in the work that we produce. And it affects us not just on this kind of theoretical basis, but in a very day-to-day -day way through things, simple things like chatbots, you right, know? Right. Was that affecting blah, blah, blah. So, um, so topics like artificial intelligence, thinking about this idea of um, of privacy, thinking about the notion of interface. Yeah. Um, for me, a particular area of interest is designing for um, people with, in, with uh, disabilities. Oh, yeah. So for that, I'm thinking about this idea of inclusive design and augmentation of the human body, which is also a really, yeah. I mean, that affects designers on so many levels when we're designing an interface, but also when we're thinking about how can we leverage our biological senses in new and unexpected ways. Yeah. I mean, that's huge for a designer. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I mean, those are, those are all the types of things that I've been thinking about as I've been interviewing people and talking to people of, um, I talked to Michael Rock and, and he said something that was really interesting to me is that we now can't escape the effects of design. We are always, in some sort of designed environment and there's no way out of it anymore. And I talked to um, Sarah Watson, who's a technology critic, and she said the same thing about technology and that technology has to move past the kind of gadget review or the review of the new iPhone and how it's better than the old one and needs to start talking about the effects that it has on people. And I, and I kind of realized that, you know, design and technology are so so connected and they're they're both affect so much of our world now and i think the same for design criticism my kind of personal bias is that design criticism needs to move past the you know company logo company redesign their logo how is it better or worse than the one before and start talking about and thinking about the economics the politics the social situations that it came from and that it's uh like entering into now um and so kind of all of that stuff that you're talking about is all stuff that I've been, I've been thinking about lately too. Well, I would say what you're saying brings up an important issue, which is that 
I would not say necessarily design criticism of the moment, but if we look at this sort of uh, progression from artifact to system or experience, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. we can think about design criticism in the same way, say, yeah, right? Let's yeah. look at this object and let's yeah. talk about this object. But now let's look at the system, let's look at this experience. Yeah. And it's, we're thinking about technology and culture in a way that did happen before with those discussions of the artifact, but yeah. are much more, um, a much more integrated part of the discussion. Yeah, yeah, I love it. I was just, I was, I was actually, I was literally writing about that topic just this morning about the move from object to system. It's so funny that you just brought that up because I was just reading and thinking about that literally two hours ago. Um, I'm, I'm interested in. Again, I'm sorry, this is another question that I'm not exactly sure how to phrase. Um, your books are, this is kind of connected to what we were just talking about. Your, your books are mostly historical texts um, that kind of end with contemporary design, I would say. Um, and I think, I think that's really important to have that historical knowledge. I think it's equally important, like we were just talking about, to continue that discussion and for current c contemporary designers to be writing and thinking and theorizing about these things also. Um, I, I'm interested in how you think about how that can function or how that can happen um, when we're in a world that is moving so fast that, you know, like you were saying, you kind of designers are just working project, 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 deadline, deadline, deadline. Um, it's easier to, uh, you know, tweet about something than to think deeply about it. Is there room for that kind of thought and discourse in a kind of contemporary design practice? I didn't mean that sounded really like down, and I didn't mean it to sound. No, so that's, like, I mean it's a tough question. I do have the luxury of being in academia, yeah. so I'm afraid if I say yes, then someone right. else is going to say no. That's, you're you're just spoiled by the ability to, you know. Anyway, um, I don't know. I don't know. I I will say that there are so many. Um, there's such great material out there right now that's very accessible mm -hmm. that was not accessible in the past or, or at least right. difficult to attain that surely there's a way that we can carve out time in our lives to do that. But I have no, <laughs> I have no secret for making that yeah. happen. We're all, we are all very pressed for time. Which seems, which is a very sad state, considering we have the technology to not be. Right, right. And you know, speaking of of the technology and the availability of kind of communicating and distributing these types of things, something I've talked about with a few people, and I'm I'm curious, your opinion on this is the idea of audience and who this type of design discourse is for, and. I, I think that we've been talking about uh, kind of writing and theorizing for the design community or the design profession. Do you see any value in educating or 
discussing publicly for people who are not designers, for the users of digital products or the audience of graphic design about, you know, how we talk about it publicly? I think this goes back to thinking about participatory design mm -hmm. and the shift in our culture toward everyone participating yeah. in the production and distribution of content. So it, the shift that's happening now toward participation really forces us to think about design as a process that everyone is taking on. And everyone is taking it yeah. on. They're, they're kind of being forced to, whether they wish to or not. Right. So I think we have to talk to everybody. Otherwise, I, I don't think we're reaching the majority of people who are designing out there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because it, yeah, it's interesting. I feel like there are more, and I've mentioned this to other people that I've talked to, there are more, design is now a thing that people understand that word at a kind of high level. Design is a word that's used all the time, and people kind of understand it or, or think that they understand it. But often that kind of deeper discussion about, you know, kind of getting past that surface level discussion doesn't seem to be happening uh, for the general public. And it, it seems like that's something that could be helpful in educating people what we do and why we do the things that we do. And as graphic designers, that it's not just, uh, you know, a surface, it's not just decorating. Um, and and that's that's another thing you know how do you do that this, this is kind of a rhetorical question i guess but like how do you do that in a way that's not educating or or not seen as educating because we know more than you or we want you to understand what we do but in a way of this is affecting how we live this is something that we should talk about and know about and and understand i don't know that was kind of a weird question statement do you have any thoughts hmm. thoughts on that well as soon as you start i think when you start talking about who you're designing for hmm. and you involve someone whether it's the other person the random whoever designing something or trying to put something out in the world or you sharing something hmm. that you've created with them as soon as you really start thinking about who you're designing it for and how you're fulfilling some kind of need or changing some or challenging some kind of culture or then then I think uh, what we're doing becomes clearer yeah yeah because then you're seeing it from the inside you're seeing the process right you're seeing the complex process that we went through to get to whatever it is they're looking at and maybe not understanding from the outside. Spe speaking of process, I was interested in somebody like yourself who you are a designer, you are a professor, you are a, a writer. Do you approach each of those activities differently? Like do you, when you sit down at your desk, is, this, is, is there a, a writer you and a designer you? Or, or how do those things start to intersect with each other kind of in your day-to-day -day job? I, I think, well, it's in book design in particular, right? I always write and design the book at right. the same time. Yeah. Because then it's like this kind of organic creature that's growing instead of something that I've designed and then I'm sticking it inside. <laughs> I, not that it's that simple, but 
But I like that idea of design and content evolving together. Yeah. And so I think it's a real, there's a really natural fusion there. Yeah. Not not that everybody has to do that. I think right. it, I think either you want to approach it that way or you don't. But if you do, there is a kind of beautiful synthesis that happens. Yeah. And then and then what about teaching? Does that kind of fit in fairly seamlessly? Is that the things you're teaching related to your research or kind of projects that you're working on? All of these things kind of are blending. I think teaching helps carve out that reflection time. Because then you're you you are forced to examine what you are saying and what you are making, and you are doing that with a group of people who are separated for a temporary period of time from the craziness of their outside world. So you're in this kind of precious space right. where you can think really deeply, and and so having doing that with other people is right. a great process, and yeah. so. I think teaching becomes a way for that to happen. That's interesting. Yeah. I have uh, I have just a couple more questions just to start wrapping it up. Um, I asked you earlier if kind of diving into design theory has changed how you thought about your own work and changed you as a designer. I'm curious if now working as a designer has changed your approach as a theorist or as a as a writer or academic, does having that design background change how you think about those things? Well, it, it definitely keeps me more, it, it feels more meaningful and grounded to me. Mm. Because if, if I'm forced to think about, about any topic in relation to my own design practice or to help my students think about it in relation to their design practice, we, we end up at a place where we're thinking very pragmatically about how these ideas integrate into our day-to-day -day process. Yeah. And so it never goes off into kind of la-la land where you just keep spiraling out and out and out and then you're not quite sure where you've ended up or how right. it's going to impact. You know, I've, I've talked, something that's come up in a lot of these interviews that has surprised me is how many of the how many of the designers that I've talked to who also have a deep interest in criticism or theory or uh, kind of writing about design actually come from literature backgrounds? And so I I'm, I'm, was kind of curious uh, if you saw any parallels there or if there are things in literary theory that you've applied to your design work or to your kind of design writing and, and teaching. Mm, that's a hard question. <laughs> I, I certainly... I certainly approach writing with a very humanities bent rather than a more science-based approach and I I become more and more aware of that yeah. as the years go by you know yeah. and I, I work more with people with um, more of a science background and more a, a quantitative approach to research and work so I do understand how Again, it's like kind of me understanding myself better that I am very much a humanities, a right. child of humanities right. in terms of the way I approach writing and thinking. Yeah, interesting. I'm not sure if that's your question, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just it's, it was just this curious thing that I've noticed where you know I'll talk to people and so many times they'll mention studying literature in undergrad or literary theory in graduate school and and I was just I. There's, an, there's something interesting there in that connection that I haven't fully 
I haven't made that connection yet. I'm, I was just trying to f figure out what that was. Um, I don't know. Maybe it has to do with our natural attraction to language. That's what I'm thinking too. Yeah. Um, my, I have two two more questions, and then uh, and then that's it. One is design is often seen design compared to the other uh, I don't have, to the other arts or the other humanities. Designers are always saying that there's never been a rich discourse around graphic design like there is around architecture or industrial design or fine arts or literature. Um, so kind of two parts, do you, do you, would you agree with that statement? And if so, do you have any thoughts about why design has never had that kind of critical discourse? Well, I would first I would say that we're a pretty young discipline, mm. and and yeah. that certainly affects the amount of discourse that has been produced. Just a sheer limitation of time. Yeah. So we have to recognize yeah. that. At this, at this moment, certainly a lot of discourse does come out of academia yeah right it's outside of academia too yeah but there is a lot that comes out of academia but there is a lot of pressure on academia at the moment to shift our practice in a way that is going to bring grant money into universities right. right so there's a there's a force right now and i'm not saying that that is there's a discourse that's going to come out of those projects that's also very powerful mm -hmm. So I think I think there are a lot of forces at play, I yeah. suppose is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> right. I don't I think there is I, I think that we have a tendency not to appreciate the design discourse that's there or maybe not to celebrate it in a way that right. we should. I think there is a lot of great discourse out there actually. Yeah. I, maybe there is less, partly because we haven't as much time as say architecture to develop that yeah. uh, that discourse. But I do feel really strongly that designers should celebrate yeah. and bring to the surface what's there. Because often it's uh, stuck in a drawer and people forget about it. Yeah. yeah. They're not studying it the way that they should or, or experiencing it. Yeah, I, I agree. I feel like I started this project thinking that this was, thinking that there was some sort of lack of discourse and I was trying to, I was hoping that I could help start it or be a part of a bigger discourse. And I feel like as I've been talking to people and as I've been researching and kind of studying design history, realizing that throughout history, designers have been saying, you know, we need more criticism, we need more theory, but it's also always kind of been there, which is kind of this interesting thing. I think you articulated that so beautifully of just not celebrating what is there or kind of keeping it at, at arm's length or something. Um, and that leads in perfectly to the last question I wanted to ask you is, are there, um, are there designers or writers or theorists or, or critics or teachers working today that you think are kind of important voices or contributing to these subjects that, that we're talking about who are kind of continuing that theoretical tradition? I think that, uh, oh, that's a really hard question. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, I think there are a lot of people out there continuing yeah. this tradition. And I think there are some amazing design 
educators living right now who are doing really um, provocative work with their students. And I, I, I do think that we also don't do a great job of communicating that sometimes, mm. the kind of work that's happening in these classrooms yeah. that is um, not only impacting the world, but also impacting students in a really deep way who, who then go out, leave academia and spread that culture. So yeah. I don't, I don't know. I hate, I hate naming people, but um, I mean, certainly Ellen has always right, been a voice, right? Yeah, of right? Course. Ellen always been a powerful voice. I think Alan Chakanoff in mm. um, New York, he, yeah. he's definitely one of those voices pushing his students to engage and think deeply about their practice. Louise Sandhouse. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm talking to her, yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, I could, there's so many. I, yeah, no, yeah, I, I understand, it's interesting that Juliet Shazar and um, oh, New York, yeah. you know, there are a yeah. lot of a lot of people out there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's interesting that it's like what you were saying just a minute ago is that all of this stuff is here, but there's not, and we have the the technology and the availability, but there's no kind of central place or no way to distribute and share that in a in a meaningful way, which is actually kind of weird considering the media climate that we're in right now that there isn't an easy way to kind of get that and communicate that yeah i don't know what the answer to that is <laughs> <laughs> that's okay this um that i was not that was yeah that was not a question that i was <laughs> expecting a, a firm answer um this has been so great though um and has been really helpful and, and really interesting to me to kind of get your perspective on this so thank you so much um for talking with me and for for the work that you're doing and kind of you know you are in a way kind of contributing to that and, and being a distribution channel for a lot of these texts that otherwise wouldn't be noticed. So thank you so much for your time. I, I really appreciate it. This episode was recorded on February 7th, 2017. Our theme music is by Andy Borgasani. We're on Twitter at Surface Podcast. You can find us on iTunes and SoundCloud and at scratchingthesurface.fm. Thanks for listening.